Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome into the OBR. This is a Tuesday edition of what's typically Monday, uh, but we do not have an actual um, you know, Monday show because it was Memorial Day. We hope your Memorial Day was great. We're going to get to our guests here in just a moment. We have a great set of guests and questions and all of that fun stuff coming for you. We will, like I said, get to that here in just a moment. I want to talk about what we have up at the OBR right now. We have some great content available for you there. Uh, if you missed today, we had breaking down the David Njoku contract structure, which we're going to talk about with Jack Duffin from a recording earlier in just a moment. Uh, our great Andrew Spade did a ATI roundup for you, looking at all the important questions and the answers for those. We'll have Andrew on here in just a little bit. And then another guest tonight will be Fred Greetham, who talked about looking ahead at the tight end position, expectations for 2022, and then obviously your daily dose of the newswire from Barry McBride. So that's what we have going on over at the website today. We have great stuff coming the rest of the week. And we're going to get to some questions of yours here in just a little bit uh, it, it, after we do our pre-recorded segment. I do want to share this, though, with Jack Duffin, our CAP specialist, where Jack and I walked through a lot of the details that were released from the contract, uh, the, the obviously the contract set up for David and Joku. So let's get over to that little bit with Jack right now. All right. We are blessed with some time from CAP specialist at the OBR, Jack Duffin. What's up, Jack? I'm good. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. Let's uh, let's talk about, I think, I think David will probably be their last extension for a little while. Don't you think so? I mean, I, I don't know who's looming. Jedrick Wills maybe at next offseason. Uh, it seems like this is the last one for a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that, that is a really, really good question. Who could be next? Yeah, I just gave you your next article idea live on the show that, right here. So that, there it is. That's a really good, really, really good question. <laughs> um, I, I, I genuinely don't know. I, yeah, I think well, it would Jedrick be the Wills 20... Was, It'd be the 19 draft, right? So Jed would Jed's got to prove it still, but he'd at least be the next, at least logical candidate, right? Yeah, and then it's the you could talk about the Kareem Hunt and go, hey, it's probably not him. It's probably Greedy Williams going into free agency. So you could look yeah. at basically everyone that's See, who's the guys guess. like Jedrick Wills that's the first people that can sign next year, and then who's the free agents and breaking that all down. Yeah, I'll make a note of that. Uh, come into the OBR in about four weeks' time when I've got all the other articles that I promised doing. That's right. So we just put more work on Jack's plate live and, and, and uh, Love it. in color right there. So let's talk about David's deal. So the deal gets reported four years, 54.7. I actually think it was reported a touch higher, wasn't it? 56 or something like that? Yeah, so it was reported higher, and that's because there's each year there's up to half a million he can earn in incentives, and okay. he's got... Um, it's two hundred and fifty thousand if he um, becomes a first or second um, team All Pro, and then if he makes the All Pro first or second, and we make the playoffs, that quarter of a mil becomes half a mil. Yeah, they double it up. Okay, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Then that would that would be the discrepancy. So, yeah, walk us through the basics of this, Jack. Kind of where the numbers sit, and then sort of also compared to some of his peers here. Yeah, so the first year, um, he's paid $12.5 million in total. And as we know with all Browns deals, that is a min-based salary. Um, and because he's done four, five years in the league, it's $1.035 million. And then the signing bonus is the rest of that. So it's 11.465. And they've added in one void year, so they can split that right down. And I thought it'd be around four million a year, and uh, it's actually three point three two eight million is that first year cap hit. So they've given him twelve and a half million in cash, and that's the real money he's going to get into his account. Um, but it's three point three two eight is what they count first year on the salary cap. So that one point oh three five gets spread out over eighteen games, essentially. He gets yeah. a hand check. Yeah, so base salary is across 18 because you get paid for the bye week as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, a, in his terms, it's a, a minor amount um, each week, but uh, I would love to get that minor amount. Yeah, wouldn't we all for sure? So that's a little, it's not that much different though than what, at least this first year, what his cap total would have been, well, not the cap total, but his total money would have been on the on the tag. So it's not, for for the general point of like, I think what we need to address here, Jack, my point is like if he, they did two years of the cap and I thought Albert Breer did a nice job of pointing this out, it would be pretty similar to his first two years, right? Yeah, so effectively he's just been, rather than franchise tag twice, which would be, um, I 
think is it 23 23 and a half maybe yeah um, close to that. but that would be salary cap and the cash would equal whereas this way they he's going to get that similar amount of cash because he's going to get 25 million of cash once we look at the second year but in terms of what counts on the cap there's only going to be 11 11 and a half million roughly is there so that's the big difference where he's going to get 25 million into his bank account but we're only going to count 11 and a half million on that and that doesn't mean the other 20 uh 13.5 disappeared that's dead cap and that just sits there down the line to be counted yeah so that that's what's interesting it's 23.83 is what uh Breer totaled so the 25 million so like let's talk about it this way as we before we dig into some some of the outs the browns have what is David's incentive to do this? Is it truly, hey, I get all of my money up front because this is a, gi- a giant chunk, 11.465 signing bonus. I get it all right now instead of playing out the year. If I do another if I do another tag, if I don't perform well my first year, I don't get guaranteed that second year. Is that some of the thought process from his side, his agents talking to him about? Yeah, so sort of that balancing out of the two sides is exactly the best way to look at it when you get into a negotiation. What has David Njoku done? And let's almost put the 11 million banked because as soon as they franchise tagged him, that's already there on one side. So he had just under 11 million set aside. He's gone, hey, and 20, make that 11, 28 million. He's then got protection guarantees and the team for that gets two option years on the back of it. So... It's that trade-off, and it's why, hey, I, I was a fan of, like, let, let's just let him play the franchise tag, prove he can be this tight end one in that sort of top eight tight ends in the league discussion, and then play it out. If this goes sort of to plan, I think you're talking about saving five, maybe six million over the course of the the three years on the back end of it, and he plays out all of that. But, hey, if, if he'd have played the first year, give him 16 million a year, yeah, it's a couple of mil lost overall per year but is that really that much for 17 million that they've had to sort of entice the deal yeah that's an interesting point it's the definitely the pro and con that they're weighing in the offer room when they're trying to figure out what to write this and what it make it look like so they could be valuing that though because every million as you sign a quarterback as we've talked about Deshaun's level of cap it does become valuable so they they really are showing a lot of faith in David let's talk about those final three years here because like essentially the let, let, let's hammer it this way. I wanted to wait on the details, Jack, because I wanted to see what the deal looked like in in baseline guarantee and when they could get out of it. Because, you know, you always do think about when things go sideways. If they do, when can they get out of it? So what does it look like in terms of getting out of this contract over the first three years? Yeah. So first two years, 25 million, that's all locked in, whether it's paid him in the first two years or it's dead cap afterwards. And then all that's effectively left after that first two years is 3 million. Um, because when he's, um, what's it, the 20th of March, 2023, so before year two begins, 3 million of uh, year three guarantees. You could trade it off, but quite frankly, if we don't want to pay him 13 um 13 and a half million to play 14 and a half million to play then why is someone else going to want to pay him 14 and a half million to play so it's probably one way you go hey we we keep him for that third year or we let him go um and yeah if he's not playing up to scratch and you're going hey 11 half million saved we'll move on so i i I consider it of that sort of the first two years 28 million all locked in and then you're like do we want to pay him that 11.1 11.1 million for 2024 and then it's 14.25 in 2025 and, and that's what you sat there and it's the Austin Hooper and lots of people they look at the dead cap and the way the Browns aggressively backload deals looking at the dead cap and going oh do you want to face this dead cap isn't the best way of looking at it it's looking at that decision and going hey if they keep him for 2024 it's the um, 11.5 million. Do you want to pay him? And that's when the discussion comes and forget everything else, forget the dead cap because you can do a June 1st, spread that, everything else. You're just going to sit there going into that um, third season of this deal and go, do we want to pay him 11.5 million? That is the only question we're going to face. And um, the dead cap, don't focus on that. Look at that. And 
he might they might go hey he's worth that 11.5 but then when we get to that final season mm, 15.25 if he's not amazing that's the point where you go hey maybe Bryant stepped up maybe they draft they're probably going to draft a tight end next year if yeah. none of these guys um come onto the roster and show up and they might go actually these two young guys are great we'll happily move on from that 15.25 million he can go sign as a free agent somewhere else and we feel really good about Harrison Bryant who might be on say 8 million and some rookie that's really stepped up that they picked up in the say third round next year so yeah Loads of options on the table. Let me ask you this. So his his numbers, his base salary numbers in 24 and 25 shoot up as you're just talking about. Is there a chance to convert? So say these things do go well. He has a couple of nice seasons. Can they convert some of that money to save some cap down the line? I know they would push some things off, but could they convert some of that base into a signing bonus and be able to open up some room in 24 and 25 if they wanted? Yeah, if they need to, they can. I still think, if you're going to start doing that with deals, it just makes sense to do the quarterback because yeah. pretty much with any other position in the NFL, it's like you don't know how long these guys are going to play for and how long they're going to be around. Whereas yeah. hey, if Deshaun Watson's good, as the piece I wrote, um, I want to say last week, um, yeah. everything's a blur. <laughs> hey, I, in three years' time, I'll, I want to be sitting him down at the table and talking about the extension. Um, and I've already put those numbers out there. So, hey, go, go click on that article on the OBR if you want to look at what does that deal look like? Well, what's the big picture? I've talked about what just yeah, so, Watson's cap hit might be in 10 years' time. Yeah. So you're essentially saying, and I think this is is important for everybody to understand, you when you do this stuff, you, you look at your quarterback because I know he's going to be good for a longer period of time. So if I keep him around by pushing off some money down the line, whatever, we have a feel that this is going to be the most secure bet to make and he's making the most cap figure money that we can pull from anyway so it makes the most logical sense is what you're saying am i getting that right yeah 100 it's it's the easiest deal to play around with and you sort yeah. of hey the, the first two years of this deal and the first two years of more or less every deal they've signed miles garrett they did it for three years yeah um which is the first time we've seen that since joe flacco's deal um, which was a long, long time ago. <laughs> and you sort of push the first two years and then you allow the sort of year three and year four is where you start balancing the books and sort of preparing for, hey, this guy might not be here. They might have to cut him and we yeah. might allow him to be a free agent at the end of it. So you don't really want to start playing around with the end of that deal. And that, that kind of makes most sense. And they're going to roll over a massive amount of money. I've got a piece coming out, was it Thursday? Yeah. And we're going to talk about that big picture. And everyone's asking about it. So I wrote it all. And then Andrew Barry went, no, you're going to have to hold on to that article, Jay, because <laughs> I've just signed David Njoku. So yeah. I've got to put the Njoku numbers in, and then we'll spit that out. The old Friday news dump when you least expect it. Classic <laughs> classic NFL move. All right, Jack, this was great, buddy. We appreciate it. Keep an eye out for Jack's article, like he said. I think Thursday, maybe Friday. I'm not sure. I think it's Thursday where he is going to uh, illuminate some of the broader cap stuff. And then, hey, we also talked about a pretty good one coming out in the next few weeks where he might uh, give us an idea of what the next potential extension candidate could be too. So he's the best of what he's doing in the market. We appreciate your time, Jack, man, very much. Thanks a lot. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back in, guys. That was Jack Duffin giving us some insights on uh, the Njoku extension, which has a lot of layers to it. The Browns, I think, did a nice job of uh, looking at it. And I think Albert Breer wrote this, guys, about this in, uh, over the weekend, which is uh, essentially taking those two years that were going to be, if you tagged him anyway, but making it a means to now the Browns giving themselves a chance to keep him around with team control for two years. So I don't really have an issue with the contract. I know there's a lot of proof to be done there, but I don't really have an issue with the contract. I've tried to spill that out uh, at least uh, over the last few episodes of a podcast I've done. But it does seem like they're projecting. I think like Pro Football Focus today put out top 15 tight ends and they tiered them off. They didn't even have David in there. So that tells you exactly what you need to know about where the NFL kind of views him. I don't think we should be surprised that the NFL doesn't view him as favorably as we do. Fred, what do you think? Like, I think that we think there's a lot to be unlocked with David, but the rest of the league and people around the league were pretty taken back by this contract. And I don't think that's a surprise really. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, (laughs) you know, it's, it's just potential and you're kind of been waiting for five years you know, to see that potential explode. It looked like it was going to early on. I think at the beginning with Mayfield, he had his biggest year. And then we all know, you know, what happened. He kind of got out of favor with Freddie Kitchens to the point where he was not even playing or not active. You know, and then it looked like he was kind of finding ground. Then they went right out of the gate after Hooper with big money and drafted Harrison Bryant. He kind of do did what some of the younger players do is throw a fit immediately. I want to be traded. And, and I think that all affected, you know, him, he finally settled down and, and uh, decided, I, I think I should learn to block and do some of the things they asked me. And, you know, it re, he ended up, they ended up rewarding him, but I just think the sheer numbers of going from three to two tight ends will work in his favor. I think the big contract will work in his favor from the aspect from the team that they want to justify it. And they're going to find ways to scheme him in and get him involved. I don't think they want to have another, like, like we've had for two years. What in the world did you sign Austin Hooper to a 14, $15 million deal and get him 38 catches a year or something. So I think that will work in his favor. Um, It's up to him though, you know, to, not be complacent and just say, you know, okay, I finally got paid. I'm here as you, as you see with some players. So it's a, it's a little of a gamble, roll the dice, but I think they felt like, you know, the way they were going, they were extending everybody except Mayfield. And so I just think that, you know, they've all done what they they have the money to do. So, you know, I kind of think you got to, you got to defer to Andrew Barry and and their plan because for the most part, it's better than anything I've seen, you know, since the team returned and, and uh, you know, so I think, I think, yeah, they overpaid for sure in my opinion, because you're just paying on his potential that we've seen it in practice. We've seen it, you know, in the locker room, he looks like Tarzan in the line. We always say plays like Jane because he's been inconsistent, but hopefully it'll all come together and, and uh, the Browns will reap the rewards of it. Well, I'll ask Andrew, I think we noted yesterday, I was on a, I was on a pod with Brad Ward and we noted 
so like the sevens. If he could get to 70 catches, 700 yards, seven touchdowns, that's a pretty successful start to this contract. That's kind of the number, right? It's going to put him up there with some other tight ends in the league. Do you think – seems pretty feasible to me. I, I, if you get him up to 85, 90 targets, I don't really see – unless he's just – He's just terrible. I mean, he just doesn't create any yards after catch, or he does. He has the drop issues of his second year comeback. I have a hard time imagining that's going to be something he can't attain, given the amount of snaps we think he's going to play. I mean, we think he's going to get a third more snaps than he had last year, which by 55 targets, you think you could get him up to 85, 90 targets. It seems like a logical 60 to 70 range, right? So I know there's some projection with Watson because he hasn't really had a dominant tight end, but the Browns have to be viewing this as we are going to give this guy a ton of throws. They just, they couldn't justify it any other way. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, the, the signal that I take away from this is if you're paying him this much money, he's really the second target on offense. Now it's Amari Cooper and then David Njoku. So the target total that you mentioned is, is right. I mean, that's what he's got to get. And if he gets that with the way that he plays, he should, you know, he should produce. Um, Yeah. I think we all remember that chargers game, Week five last year, he got loose uh, on a long one and, and you know, it was one of the best games of his career. If he can do that regularly, then, you know, th- that volume will make him a top 10, maybe even a top five tight end in the league. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely would agree with that. I mean, if you can mix in the blocking, but, but to be considered a top tight end in the league, it can't just be a blocking tight end, right? That's right. not that's not how they view you. You have to put up numbers. So. I, I mean, we've kind of broken this topic down about as well as we can here at this website. So I yeah. think those numbers are fair. I think the contract you you have to accept as Brown supporters that not everybody else out there views the team as you do. And if they are going to bash the Njoku deal, that's OK, because I think people have the means by which to do so. The concern is valid. This is not a zero risk signing. Just let the let the stuff happen, and then it'll bear itself out in the next few years, and you can go back and point fingers at people if you want to in a couple of years. So we'll yep. see what shakes out. Andrew, another interesting thing from Albert Breer on the Deshaun Watson stuff, which now, if you guys are paying attention, another piece of news as well, if you want to touch on those. Yeah, so the, uh, the first thing we were going to cover is uh, in his Monday morning quarterback piece yesterday, Breer mentioned that pre-trial discovery for all of the civil cases, the deadline for that is June 30th. And what that means essentially is that all of the documents that need to be uh, shared between the uh, plaintiffs and the defense, that will all conclude by June 30th. And at that point, because uh, both sides, I believe, are cooperating with the NFL, the NFL should have access to all of the information that uh, is available to both sides of the both attorneys in in the case. As a result, then they'll with having that information, they'll be in a position to rule on discipline in July. Now, another case being added, I think, throws a lot of that up in the air. Frankly, um, you know, the allegations are are in this one are you know along the lines of of the other ones, and and you know they're they're pretty unpleasant, and uh, it doesn't you know it doesn't surprise me. I guess uh, the timing of this, I think, it makes a lot of sense that somebody could in that situation could see, you know, the, the piece on real sports last week and feel moved, you know, to finally come forward. So uh, I think that there's a, you know, the, this is the worst case scenario at this point for the Browns um, and us, and for us as Browns fans, that this news, these sorts of lawsuits keep showing up every month or two. And there's a start sort of a steady leak. Um, and you know, you also have to say that this probably increases the pressure on Watson to settle because, uh, the sooner he can settle these cases, the sooner, you know, these sorts of surprises stop happening. I would say, yeah, your, your way of putting that there, the worst case scenario is true. It, it, it's, I mean, the worst of the worst case scenario was well before the Browns decided to trade for him, right? Which for sure. he gets yeah. a criminal charge yeah. and. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, whatever. That's the worst case scenario. But for right. the Brown situation, which is we're trying to move forward, another charge after the date kind of that Breer said of the 30th is is tough because does it throw off the timeline? And I think that's where it gets kind of dicey because it could throw off the timeline. It definitely could if they need to gather more. And <laughs> if these trickle in, you had to have think, Fred, you had to have thought that the Browns were aware of this, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe they weren't aware that more women would come forward, but I guess 
you have to look at all threats here. You have to look at all like, hey, there are other women potentially that could join this thing. I guess it's it's all moving now, and it gets a little dicier for the the season, the suspension, and what it could mean for the year. But I I don't know. I mean, do you think the Browns plan for this, Fred? Yeah, knowing that they have all contingencies and have contingencies for their contingencies, I can't imagine. Obviously, there's some unknowns that you don't know, but I would have thought they would have swept, you know, even outside of these original allegations. Now, my question, I don't know enough. I know there was 24. Two did not choose to be a part of the lawsuit. I don't know. I almost thought maybe this was one of the two that originally didn't join the 22 because it seemed like from what I had that that same attorney and everything that they were just changing their mind and joining. Maybe that's so I think that was in their horizon and I would assume, you know, they would have dug into just about anybody they thought he had been in contact with her who could have been a potential. So there was no surprises. I don't think when you make a move of that magnitude, you do something, you know, without knowing what you're getting into for the, for the most part. I mean, you have to know what's the worst case. Maybe is, maybe is, is it, Fred, do, you, do you think it's just like the, the, the scenario with civil cases and, and, they, they don't really matter much, I guess. Like, I don't know if that's a weird thing to say, but from the Browns overarching perspective, they have been, I have to think they have been planning on a suspension. So if they're planning on a suspension, they know that's going to happen. I don't know that these civil additions to the big picture of the situation they've put themselves in matters all too much because it, I don't know. Once the suspension happens, I guess I'm trying to say is once the suspension happens, it's over from a league Browns football perspective. So, yeah, I, I mean, from a person perspective, these cases coming on are troubling. But like from their perspective, they probably just want the timeline, like Andrew was saying earlier with the timeline to just sort itself out and get an answer. I think the worst thing that could happen and you tell me if I'm wrong, Fred from the from the perspective of Deshaun and the Browns, like the worst thing that could happen is that they don't get a resolution before the season. Like they go into the year without a suspension and then it lingers into the next year because the court cases won't shake out. You know what I mean? Like I feel like that would be a pretty rough outcome. At least that's that that all hanging over his head and their head and what the future holds is probably not what they're looking for. I don't know. You correct me if I'm wrong on that. Andrew, you can chime in too. Well, I think that that's true. They, I think everybody, us, anybody watching wants to just get some resolution. And I think the, somebody just made a comment. I think the last thing they want is this to, to linger into next year. So they've said all the right things and I'm not a lawyer. I don't know any of the legalese, but to me, I know he wants to clear his name in that. But if they come out with a four-game, six-game, eight-game suspension, they do the appeals or whatever, and it's done for this season, you go get it settled so they can't come back next year and say, oh, some more things came out we didn't know about. You don't want to risk another four, six, eight games next year. You want to be done with it. And I would think, you know, if they because more things could come down the road, and I would think they want it all out. This is it. We're done yep. with it. It's kind of like being sick. You just want to get it over with and be done with it, not carry and do it, go through this all again next year. So yeah. um, you've got to say, I don't want to settle on all these things and admit right. guilt and all that. But if they say whatever the suspension is, you appeal yep. it, regardless of the outcome, it's said and done this year. And right. then you, then it's over. Yeah, I think, pertaining I, to this one, Andrew, you can comment on that. I mean, yeah. I, his second suspension seems hard to imagine, but I guess if enough enough come out, yeah, over the next year, I, right. I, I don't know. I mean, could more? Well, no, I, I'm I, saying I, you I'm, settle, yeah, and you're now they suspend you for settling six games, and then they have the you know whatever it is. But if you wait and go to trial, things can come up. Just the court of public opinion 
Yep. Mm-hmm. That they say, oh, we didn't give him enough. Here's another six games right. or ten games next year. Yeah, I mean, I'm so, saying, yeah, yeah, get it over with now is what you're saying. So, so double jeopardy doesn't doesn't work here. You can't just one. You could, you right. could, they could, they could suspend him a second time, right? Absolutely, yes. For the same yeah. stuff, yeah, it, I guess it would be. It would be new. I think it, my understanding is it would have to be new information. Yeah, my double so, jeopardy thing there but, doesn't work. But well, that's but why I'm saying point. you settle it. Right. Yeah. But don't I, settle I, it I now. Think even if he settles all existing now 23 lawsuits, if a 24th or 25th claimant came forward, I don't think that would preclude them from filing a lawsuit either. Right. So the idea I think with settling is to try and uh, kind of tie it all up and, pre- you know, prevent this from continuing to be in the public sphere. But there's, I mean, I, I think, you know, to the point that you were making a minute ago, Jake, um, you know, the, I'm sure that the Browns did a lot of due diligence and I, you know, that's something they've claimed again and again, but these situations, you know, I don't think you can ever have a hundred percent knowledge, right? There are unknowns sure. here and um, you know, there's exposure to the Browns. There, there is a scenario here where this does drag on for years and, you know, potentially gets suspended multiple times or, you know, faces, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that there's any, with the existing information, no likelihood of a criminal trial, but, um, you know, there's, I don't, I don't think you can rule out the possibility that somebody in the future comes forward that, you know, another criminal investigation pops up again. I mean, it's just, he's, you know, it's the, it's the world that we're living in now because the guy's on our team and that's just the reality of the decision that they made. Well said, well said. So I think, I don't know. I think that's kind of all we can say for now. I don't know that we know anything else about, what changes totally, whether they didn't know about this potential comment or, or, or uh, sorry, situation coming up or not. And maybe it's all new. Maybe they have to reopen the, uh, the can of worms here and go down that path. I don't know. The arbitrator will make their decision. A reminder on that. Roger Goodell does not make the decision. The NFL finds and gives their suggestion of what they would do. And then the arbitrator who is a U.S. district judge court makes the decision about what that is. And that's why there's really no, um appeals process really because it really goes to appeals right away it's kind of heard by an appeal uh situation there so we'll move on the other thing that happened today was Akeem Hicks signed and the Browns were I don't know if they were really linked they weren't linked to him so much as they were in Dominican Sioux and we were we read today from Brad Stainbrook that the Browns are out of the running for Dominican Sioux it seems like now we know that Akeem Hicks is going to tamp on a one-year 10 million dollar deal I think it's safe to say that they're going to run it with the group they have. I guess they could make some. I mean, there's still Eddie Goldman. There's still some other guys they could. Linval Joseph, I believe, is still out there too. But, you know, I I, I feel like they're going to run it with this defensive tackle group. I pointed out on Twitter earlier, it's pretty laughably bad, but it might not matter. Fred, do you think it ma- it will end up mattering all too much? Because I, I will say this. I'll preface the question by saying this. I get it. Encouraging teams to run on Cleveland is great, right? Modern football teams running is far better than the throwing element of things, especially against good quarterbacks. Uh, But you're also saying to me, it's funny. You're like, yeah, they just want them to rush. Well, they need to be good rushers too, right? Like they, they're, I don't, other than Perry on Winfrey, who has a really nice get off at the line of scrimmage. I don't see, I don't see a ton of good pass rushers here either. Maybe I'm just super negative, but I don't see where they're like a bunch of one trick ponies on this team either in terms of that position. So I think it's going to be pretty dang bad, but does it matter, Fred? Do you think that they're just good enough in the secondary linebacker group and DNs to overcome it? Well, the Browns have never been able to stop the run. I mean, even last year defense played well and they still finished in the middle of the pack. I think that, I mean, somebody wrote an article earlier on our site about that. Might have been you, might have been. But it was like, does it matter that much to them? It doesn't seem like it does because they don't seem that concerned. But to me, the Jadavian Clowney signing make makes all the difference because when you got two pro ball defensive ends, it seems like you can cover some of the sins on the inside. And even knowing that Clowney's pretty good against the run, he can even slip in there and do some of that. Um, yeah, I haven't. I don't. I'm not impressed that much with the rest of the group. Um, 
We haven't seen much. I watched them practice a little bit last week, but they're pretty much just walking through the drills and a little bit of a jog. But I don't know if they're going to catch anything with Taven Bryan. I think Winfrey was maybe the best addition on the inside this offseason, but you can't count on him from the get-go. So I don't know. I think they're going to go with what they have. I guess there's guys like you mentioned. I don't even know if Sheldon Richardson's an option, you know, or somebody, you know, you could bring in to plug a hole like Malik Jackson did last year, even though it wasn't that good. I don't know if Malik Jackson's an option, you know, saying, hey, Malik, I know, you you know, you're sitting at home, you want to come in or what? But Yeah. yeah, I think that, you know, obviously to me, that's the big question mark is those two positions inside, but I thought they had something with McDowell, but watching you guys' film studies, I guess they weren't really that good anyway on the inside at, on defensive tackle. So um, I have to figure with the expectations they have, they just might feel that it's not that big of a deal to them. Andrew, you want to touch on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, in a way, it's kind of like the Njoku signing. Um and I, I mean that only in the sense that I think that the team feels that they were really good last year. You know, I, I should say the front office feels that they were really good last year. And I think they feel really comfortable sticking with a lot of what they had last year and assuming that the massive upgrade at quarterback makes the difference between an eight, nine team and an 11 and six team, you know, uh, uh, winning the division. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm kind of in the same boat of like, I guess we'll just see, you know, uh, I, I agree that there's that doesn't none of the guys that are on the roster are guys that you know excite me and I I you know you, you root for the Browns long enough and you stop getting excited about guys that are drafted in the fourth round to come in and play right away you know so I mean it's it'll be fun to listen to Winfrey talk but I don't you know I don't think that's going to translate on Sundays I mean I hope I'm wrong right but um, I I think that you know they they have I mean, and i think somebody in the in the chat mentioned moving uh, clowny inside more moving some of the de's inside more maybe that's what they do maybe you know maybe clowny plays half of his snaps inside because they've got good depth at the edge now uh, with with Wright and winovich so maybe that's how they make uh, make the numbers inside could be i mean you know you got to be careful with putting those guys inside too much but it is a path we know clowny can do it they have talked to Alex Wright about doing it a little bit. I have to give a shout out. Um, we Dream and Sound gave us a, a, a six month sub there. I believe Warpath E, EJH, and then E Gillen One. Uh, you guys have been uh, you guys have been giving out subscriptions like crazy. So we're in a little bit of a level four hype train right now, which is pretty dang cool for the first day after the Memorial Day for Browns content. So appreciate that a ton, guys. Um, any other questions you have? Feel free to throw them in. We have sort of hit on every topic we plan to talk about today. It was a, a, a pretty quiet Browns day. There was a couple things up here at the top I wanted to see if we could get answered. Um, let's see here if I can find them. I've got a few um, from Ask the Insiders, too, that I think would be good to answer. Yeah, go, go ahead. Feel free to do those if you'd like. Yeah, um, there was a question about does uh, well, this, I think, was from the chat, and then it kind of uh, coincides with the question from Ask the Insiders. It's basically, does the Troy Hill trade – uh, increase the chances of Greedy Williams re-signing next year, and then following off of that, what is Greedy Williams's market? What what is his value essentially on the open market? I'll let Fred answer that, and then I'll and then I'll touch on it as well. If you, if you want to go about what you think that looks like for Greedy, Fred. Well, I thought he had a kind of a rebound season last year, and he you know I wasn't even sure he was going to play, and he 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 played pretty well at times. It's interesting to me that they seem to be so determined to move Newsom inside, which yeah. means that they're planning on Greedy be the outside guy, or they have plans for Emerson or AJ Green. Somebody's going to play the outside when Newsom moves in. I think what they would do is have Newsom and Ward if the game started with two guys on the outside, but they've had the third cornerback. I think that. Um, Williams would be on the outside. At least he was in the little run throughs last week and Newsom moved into the slot, you know, in the three wide receivers. So I think a lot of it depends. This is his fourth year. So 
you know, you you weren't a first round pick, a second round pick, so he can be a free agent next year. And so I think a lot of it depends on his emergence or the emergence of Emerson or AJ Green. Um, I was a little surprised they traded Troy Hill off because, you know, you have you had on paper your top five cornerbacks coming back. Now you have four of the top five, and you're assuming Emerson moves into one of those roles. But they got an idea somebody is going to be the outside guy opposite Ward if they're going to move Newsom inside because that's what it seems to me just watching. But when you talk to him, we interviewed him after practice last week. He made it sound like it's a done deal. He's the slot guy. Yeah. So that means somebody on the outside has to be the guy, whether it be greedy or they have kind of a stealth guy, whether it's going to be AJ green or Emerson. It is interesting to me that a guy you don't, you don't see it as, uh, as we completed a, um, Warpath went on another gifting tier sub. We got through a hype train. Guys, thank you a ton, man. I can't can't think of the last time we got through one of those on these. So that's really cool. We appreciate it. I wish I could give you a, a on-screen shout out for the gifting the subs, but it doesn't allow us to do that on StreamYard, unfortunately. But listen, thank you so much for that. To, to your point on Greedy, yeah, I mean, like, he, play, he obviously was out 2020, but he played 591 snaps last year. And he wasn't a starter by all considerations for when everybody was healthy. He uh, played 680 his rookie year when he was healthy. I think he's bounced back. He, he There were times where the shoulder looked a little weak, right? Like uh, sometimes where he came off the field, things like that. Like I thought there was some of those moments, but I thought he played really well. And I think he's on the precipice of being able to be a long-term player for them at a pretty decent rate. As we just got more subs gifted, this is you guys are OG Philly bopped in. <laughs> Listen, man, this is awesome. Um, yeah, but like to my to the point about the um, about greedy, like he was heading toward maybe like an MJ Stewart trajectory, right? He would have been a a second round pick who his team moved on from pretty quickly. That was always possible, but I think the way he played last year, some of the technique stuff that I thought he cleaned up and he was an effective deep coverage player. He showed nice awareness. If he has another good season, I could see them sort of working out some kind of second contract. So, and that's, that's an upset because we were all pretty concerned following his first year where he was really inconsistent and obviously missing the entire second year, which, you know, go back to that second year, man, like, we didn't know what was going on. It was like, will he be back? Will he be? And all of a sudden, boom, he's got this degenerative shoulder nerve thing that came up. And all of a sudden, he seems to have gotten over it. We'll see. This is a really important year for him. It's a really important year for Jedrick Wills, right? That's another one we've talked about. There are some guys here in, in situations where they really need to be good for the future of their NFL, uh, future of their NFL life. So I think that's an interesting one. I saw another question about who was going to make a bigger impact this year, Schwartz or Bell. I think you probably have to say Bell because I, I'm confident in the baseline wide receiver stuff that Bell has proven. We all knew Anthony Schwartz was sort of a esoteric, maybe is the right word. Like he was very specific speed guy who you thought you could get more from. I'm more concerned with routes run by Schwartz this year than I am with general production. I need him to be somebody who can run away from people down the field and at least make defenses play two high shells and push deep coverage to make them play even numbers in the back portion of the field. We've got to find a way as an offense, Cleveland Browns, not we, I'm not calling plays to get teams out of single high coverage and get teams out of loading up the box. I think that's going to happen because the quarterback will be better, but they also need a guy who can run. I think Schwartz has the potential to have more routes, but I think bell hasn't as the potential to make a bigger impact partly because I trust that more. Andrew, what do you think on that? Yeah, I, I think I, I think that's exactly right. I, I think, you know, the the downside on Schwartz is, you know, is evident, right? The the ball tracking problems, the, you know, inconsistent uh, hands, uh, stuff that, you know, it's like even if the ball gets there, there's no guarantee that he's going to be in the right place or ready to catch it. And so, um, I, I you know, the speed – plays but you know i think the other thing that i know that you've mentioned a few times is he's not the most sudden player you know yeah. it's it's long speed so 
it's really dependent on him getting loose deep. And I, we know Watson throws a great deep ball. So maybe, you know, it, all of a sudden it looks different and a year in an NFL program, you know, makes a difference for him. But, um, you know, the, all of the things that David Bell has, the polish and the, uh, you know, the, the ability to separate, the ability to secure the ball, contested catch stuff, that's all the stuff that Schwartz doesn't have. And so it's it feels like he's he's kind of ready to come in. He probably has a, a lower ceiling, but a higher floor. And I think that's probably what we'll see this year. Fred, your thoughts? I, I think I think that it's pretty easy to see how David Bell makes an impact. What do you think? Yeah, I do. I, I think last year, I mean, you took Schwartz in the third round. They were expecting a bigger impact from him. Pulled a hamstring and early in training camp and really – I was surprised the production he had in that season opener kind of came out of nowhere. I think he had five catches, 44 yards, had a 17-yard rush. So he had like 61 yards, and you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? Kind of a surprise. And then he disappeared basically for the rest of the year. He had concussions and stuff like that. But drafting him in the third round, my point is, I think they expected that last year. And drafting Bell in the third round, I think they expect him to contribute. And like you said, I think he's more ready, NFL ready. You talk about Schwartz, that's what he's known for is his speed. I watched him in training camp. He didn't have, he dropped a lot of passes. Um, but I never saw this, you know, when I'm thinking of a 4-2-5 speed, I'm thinking flat out, it seemed like he could never get into that because you didn't see him just run straight. You saw that a lot. They tried reverses and jet sweeps and he couldn't get around the corner or the edge guy and they drop him at the line of scrimmage. So I think, I agree. I think he's got to be almost the fly pattern guy that you just throw the bomb and maybe then you see his speed, but I'm, I I can say he's not, if, if Tyree kills four, two, five, he's a different four, two, five than Anthony Schwartz, because I mean, that jitter, you know, Schwartz isn't like that. He's like, yeah. it's got to be the guy out of the blocks. And then he, you know, so it's a different kind of speed. No question he's got the speed, but they got to figure a way to unleash him because he couldn't get around the corner half the time on those jet sweeps and reverses. So, yeah, yeah it's, the, the, it's the, the NFL it's, is how fast you get zero to 60, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. that's the thing. Then they record something where Daniel Jones had that long run a couple years ago. And then like, uh, they had his top speed as a similar top speed to Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. but it's the buildup, right? So, you know, that's that's the difference, the specific difference with Tyreek Hill and why he's a unicorn of sorts is he can do the top speed things that are rare, but he's there quick. Like, he's he's there. Mm-hmm. And it takes Schwartz and guys of that nature a, a long time to to get there. It takes them, takes them longer to build up. That's that's the difference. Have you seen Fred being there live? Have you seen some things of the wide receiver group? Have you seen any Isaiah West? I know you're only there once a week, but there's some interesting fringe guys too. So I was curious if you've seen anything that has caught your eye. Well, I watched that Weston kid. He's 6'4". I saw it very skinny, you know, so he's got room to grow in that frame. But I saw him go up and and – and make a nice one-handed catch. He was being contested. And I go, whoa, that I know it was just non-hitting practice, but but that was kind of caught my eye. And and Bell, I've I've been impressed a little what I've seen of him. I haven't seen yet much with Harley or Harris. They're not doing a whole lot. And there's 87 guys out on the field, too. And it's unless you just watch a while. But yeah. no, I think it is interesting. And um they're going to have some decisions there. I think that's part of the reason, you know, they haven't added a, what we all think they need another veteran number two receiver, because I think they think the quarterback's going to make these guys look a lot better. They're going to go, Oh, you know, Najoko even, you know, like if they go after Watson, he's going to dump it over almost if Najoko just kind of mirrors him or trails him or, or a receiver does that. And and they're going to look a lot better than maybe they have in the past. So I think the same thing with Schwartz and Peoples Jones and some of these young guys. I think they feel that they can they can find something there. So we'll see. They're putting a lot of faith in them, but there are some interesting guys, especially those undrafted guys. There's like three of them that you know I think have a chance. One of them to emerge. Yeah, I would say 
the thing about like the situation with Weston, big body can do some things. He never played big, but certainly a big body guy that I'm interested in. We just got to see some stuff, some live stuff. It's better to see it though, Fred, than to not see it. Yeah, maybe it's just it's just in shirts and shorts, but you got to see that stuff for it to come to fruition. So it doesn't matter until it matters, right? Like I think that that you, you gotta it's gotta happen, and if it's gonna happen, you need to see it happen in practice. So. Um, yeah, I think I think that that's there's two things we've talked about here. Wide receiver a little bit, but more so the defensive tackle group. You're expecting Watson if even if the Browns say okay, we give up a similar point total to last year or a tick more, a little bit more, we're going to score more. We believe that the difference here is we're going to score more because of the quarterback. Now granted, he's got to be playing and we'll see where that shakes out. But we're going to score more, so that can make up for these deficiencies. And a reminder to everybody as we close here, not every single position group can be great. Go across every team in the NFL, they've got weak position groups. It's just the you can't in the salary cap league, you can't with 53 players only and all these positions, 22 positions, that's different than baseball, that's different than basketball, you're going to have weak positions. It's just the nature. So how do you overcome them? The Browns' plan is clear. Okay, we don't have the greatest wide receiver room. We think we have a nice tight end, a couple nice tight ends. We think we have elite running backs, an elite offensive line, and now an elite quarterback. We don't have great defensive tackles, but we think we have elite defensive ends, an up-and-coming linebacker room, and an elite secondary. That's how we make up for it. So that is their clear plan. That's Fred Greetham. That's Andrew Spade. I hope you guys have enjoyed today's show. Tried to cover everything that's been out there. Thank you to Jack Duffin for recording a little bit of a – to about a 12-minute session at the beginning. You can re-watch this if you missed it or catch it on tomorrow's OBR Film Breakdown podcast where he talked about the intricacies of the deal for David and Joku and what all that means. So, listen, we had a hype train. We had a lot of subs tonight. We thank you so much. We're going to have the OBR Weekly on tomorrow. Check that out with Fred and Barry. And then Thursday, not this week, but the following Thursday, Andrew and I will be doing a mailback show on uh, on Thursdays through the summer here. So, Check that out. We appreciate your support, guys, at the OBR, whether it's through the website, this Twitch channel, or the podcast. It means the world to us. Thanks for showing up today. Have a great evening, and we close with usual. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.